Green Left Weekly Radio. There is one newspaper that is independent of powerful interests, and that's Green Left Weekly. It's a people's voice committed to human and civil rights, environmental sustainability, democracy and equality. It presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Yes, and good morning, listeners, and welcome to Green Left Radio. You're on um, 3CR, of course, 855 on your AM dial. And in the studio, we have... Me, Jacob, and um, <laughs> me, Lali. Jacob. And uh, yes, I'm Lalita Chalaya. And we have got a full program for you today and with some news that you haven't heard of the mainstream as well. Now, before we start, let me say that we pay our respects to the um, Kulin Nation of the Wurundjeri people. Um, the land was never ceded. Uh, it is Aboriginal land, always will be Aboriginal land. Mm. Um, so the other things I want to say before we start is that um, we're a little bit behind on the podcast, but we'll get on to it. And hopefully by this weekend, I'll have all the podcasts up and running. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, we are streaming live on the web. Um, and um, we have digital radio as well, I think. So hope you're listening and you're awake uh, or getting ready for work. I hope you enjoy this program. So coming up, we've got a couple of interviews, maybe even three with a bit of luck. And we're going to start covering some of the... Um, News that's floating around at the moment. Jacob, uh, Tony well, Abbott got hit by a. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was thinking. Um, but I guess, I, I guess one of the perspectives that I kind of want to bring to this program is not that we, you know, condone violence, but I think the way the media is going to be framing this, um, and especially the way Tony Abbott is framing this, <laughs> yes. um, and the way the right wing is framing this particular incident, is it's going to be like they're going to point to this as, you know, an example of, you know, how bigoted and how repressive the yes side is, you know, on our freedom of speech. They will resort to, you know, violence. and But I think, you know, there's absolutely no equivalence to you know to the violence has been perpetrated against the against gay the, community against the queer, against the queer the number of suicides. especially what the especially when you consider what the no community is actually pushing they're pu- pushing clear material that is very that is outright hate speech transphobic homophobic all you that know, all that <laughs> all and, the phobias and so you know the 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 argument that just simply being head butted by some you know angry campaigner is... I wonder what he did to provoke him. But anyway, and, and, of the course, point. besides the point, um, there's not even any um, proof that the incident has happened. Police are investigating it. Oh, you know, Tony Abbott... a small injury somewhere on the head. Yeah, Tony Abbott is... <laughs> but, yeah, of course, Tony Abbott's trying to raise this argument that, you know, this is one example of why the yes, um, the yes side is so terrible, despite the fact that, you know, there's absolutely no equivalent to, you know... Um, it's 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 just muddying the waters because the 
issue, the real issues around the yes campaign is lost. Mm. The reason they want to get married is so they have care, they can have equal rights as partners like married couples. Even de facto couples have um, very poor access to rights when their partner separates or dies or whatever. They've got to go to the high court. They've they got to pay thirty or $40,000 to have the case heard. Whereas if you're married, you can go to a, 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 you know, a magistrate around the corner and, and have the case delivered or you can go to a um, negotiation session somewhere and have it um, you know negotiated but with with the, the gay couples who've been together for years um, they have no rights whether mm. it's superannuation or whether it's ch- a right over children and, and there are a multitude of things they're legally unable to do and that's what this is all about yep. and over and above that why shouldn't they get married if they wanted to mm. that's that's fundamental basic you know it's, mm. uh, yeah, it's, it's just a nonsense but yeah, this, while, this, we're on, while we're on this subject um, I guess um, um, for the listeners who have received their postal surveys, yes. um, don't forget to send them into the mailbox. Yes, don't delay. The sooner the better and you can get it out of in, the way. In fact, on a, really a, important. In fact, on a funny anecdote, I'm kind of holding back my best friend's um, vote right now. I, I just realised I forgot to pack in pack his survey in, in my bag. Though I don't think I'm seeing him Jacob, today. Jacob, how irresponsible. <laughs> yeah, but he really insists to that he wants, to, to, vo- he really wants to vote himself. He doesn't want me to just fill in the form. So I well, that can vote. wait. <laughs> All right, so um, so we have this this um, right wing mania in the media where just because Tony Abbott was ex prime minister and he's carried on like a pork chop in the news and he's he's actually a very dangerous person. Mm-hmm. He's heading up the no campaign. It, it I think in, in a sense it, it's a sign that the no campaign isn't making any any um, railroads into the yes campaign. Mm-hmm. So they're using other tactics that they think will work. So if you portray this wonderful right-wing man who's being attacked by a yes campaigner, people will get outraged. But the reality is more and more people actually supporting the yes campaign. The AFL has come out and supported it. And yesterday at work, um, the um, Aboriginal community stated that they are, in char- they are in support of the yes campaign. There's yes campaign uh, posters all mm-hmm. over the, the health service, for example. Yeah. Um, so more and more groups are encouraging their people mm-hmm. to vote yes. Mm. So it's encouraging to see that, and let's that let's keep that up and ignore this. Um, mm. This it's not frivolous; it's actually dangerous the way they they're trying to campaign. It's desperate measures, and that's all you can put it down to: desperate measures by the right wing to use Tony Eben as the front person. Um, yeah, so he got he. he he got butted on the head, but how are they accounting for all the deaths, the depressions, the suicides, um, the incredible amount of mental health trauma that's been suffered by the gay community across the world? You, you, mm. you know, Australia, we know people who have been murdered. It is just wicked what's happened to uh, the gay community. And um, this is nothing compared to what, what's happened to them. Right. Yes, it should not have happened. Yes, we don't condone violence. But I think for the right wing users as the front campaign, I see it's only as a desperate measure. But let's move on. I'm, I'm sick of this. Oh, well, just one last kind of thing to mention. Um, I think what has been pretty expiring about this campaign, I mean, despite the fact the survey is probably a big waste of taxpayer dollars, yes. um, um, has been the kind of different kind of groups that have come into support of marriage equality, yeah. including unions. Um, there's Even also, some businesses. There's been it. some... Um, I mean, one of the things that the right has been trying to use quite cynically is kind of trying to sort of exploit kind of migrant groups, um, especially um, those within my community, especially, um, which is a Chinese community. Um, But, you know, what 
the uh, the um, in response, you know, there's been lots of different kind of multicultural yes. migrant groups who the have ECCV, all come out. The ethnic community has come out in support of. of yeah. the and East then there's support. also quite significantly, um, you know, the Muslim community has yes. come out in full um, with right. through organising a group called um, Muslims for Marriage Equality. And just one like last comment, you know, there's a there's a funny thing in in um, the Herald Scum or the Daily Terror, <laughs> um, where they've been, they basically, you know, try to point out, you know, you know some of the homophobia that comes from, say, fun- fundamentalist, mu- conservative Muslim community, not fundamentalist, I think. Um, and, but, you know, it's like they try to come in defence of, you know, um, gay rights, but no, the Daily Telegram and the Herald Telegraph. Sun don't, don't, care, don't actually care about queer people at all. They're no. just sin only, but it shows that they cynically want to use it if they can know they can attack or demonise Muslims. Uh, yeah. yeah, but that the, the wrap-up of that is vote and vote early. Uh, really, really important. I encourage every single person who hasn't received votes. I think it, they can still ring up the um, Electoral Commission, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, you can yeah. check that. And I want to just quickly talk about this event that I'm kind of involved in organising um, for marriage equality because I live in the Moreland area. So there's been a group that's um, started up called Moreland Says Yes to Marriage Equality. Yeah. Um, and so our first event we're looking to organise um, to bring the Moreland community together is... Um, um, making a yes human sign. So we're wanting to get over at least um, 80 to 100 people um, to meet up at um, Clifton Park, which is 377 Albert Street on Friday, um, this next this coming Friday on the 29th of September at 2 p.m. in Brunswick. Um, so, yeah, you can find out more um, by searching Moreland Says Yes to Marriage Equality on Facebook. Um, but, yeah, that should... Um, so when, when and what time? Friday the 29th of um, September on at 2 p.m. at Clifton Park. Great. So if you want to be part of the Yes Formation in Moreland, be there. Yep. Okay. So moving on. Uh, what we, we actually haven't heard a lot about or anything at all is about the um, coup d'etat in the Catalan area. And I just wanted to um, give people the uh, a, a, a start-up, what do you call it? Um a notification. There'll be an interview with um, our correspondent there in Spain about this in a few minutes. So please um, hang on and it's not too far away. Now, um, the other big news that's in the, in the, or it was in the news, I don't know if we covered this before, Jacob, it's the um, Australia Day vote in Moulin City Council, since you're talking about Moulin, Moulin um, City Council, and the uh, vitriol that's been uh, heaped on Sue Bolt, Bolton, the councillor, the Socialist Alliance councillor for Moulin, for mm-hmm. moving the motion to reject Australia Day on the 26th of um, January. And the response by various media uh, coverage has been absolute vitriol. Um, and it's interesting that the three councils, Yara, Darabin and Moulin, have all voted to reject that that day mm-hmm. as the well, it, it it's interesting because you know they don't want to celebrate it, and and, and that's a fair call as, as far as I can see. And it's interesting that Sue Bolton has actually um, stated that um, it's equivalent to celebrating the Holocaust, mm-hmm. and people think, oh, that's terrible comparison, blah blah blah. And I'm thinking, you know, that is so true because up to now, no one, no no political leader in Australia has admitted that they what they did was a, a genocide in Australia, mm-hmm. um, not blaming the current. Um, generation, but when it was invaded by the British, it was a genocide. 
Uh, I mean, they, I mean, the British practically lined up Aboriginal people and to be them. killed, Nick, and they they were treated as nothing more as you know fauna. Or that's right, that's right. I mean, the only thing is that at, at the moment we would be uh, enjoying this this first world conditioned if the land hasn't hadn't been stolen from the Aboriginal community, mm. and today they are the ones who are suffering most, and they see it as a genocide. Mm. And I think if you want to respect their point of view, then you've got to agree with what um, Councillor Sue Bolton said about, uh, you know, in, in relation to comparing the mm. genocide to and, the um, it's And it's um, very similar to Columbus Day in, um, in the United States, which oh, is basically... Sure. So, which is, again, equivalent basically to celebrating genocide. And what um, I think interesting is because of, um, you know, the efforts of um, Native American activists um, and other grassroots campaigners, you know, there are more and more states that are actually in the United States that are actually abolishing uh, Columbus Day. And Columbus Day isn't actually treated as, like, this unifying holiday that, you know, unites all of the United States, um, which is basically... In the context of Australia Day, that is actually what Australia Day is. It's our Columbus Day, but we're, we're it's being marketed as a day that unifies. It doesn't. It is a celebration of a genocide. Mm. You know, this is this is the, the people who think in a warped manner, celebrating the annihilation of so many Aboriginal communities um, who are still suffering from the aftermath of that today. And you can see it in all the figures, whether it's um, uh, level of education or whether it is um, uh, kids kids in jail, um, incarceration rates for Aboriginal people as a whole, disease suffered, all sorts of different things you can compare, and you can you can tell the um, Devastation suffered by the community, and yet this, the, the uh, authorities to be uh, are celebrating it. And what's even worse is they invite the traditional people to dance for them on that day mm. and celebrate. That's so offensive, incredibly offensive. But anyway, so we are going to go for a quick break and then on to the interview. Um, that I uh, uh, mentioned before, and that interviews um, about what's happening in Catalan, in Spain, and there's a coup d'etat that's happened two days ago, and I interviewed Dick Nichols, who um, is a correspondent for Green Left Weekly, and you'll find that interesting because none of the media so far, and I've been keenly going from station to station to station, and I have no media, mainstream media has covered this. So let's for a quick announcement... Um, my name is Selva Coolidge Shelvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated 
if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Welcome to 3CR, Dick, and this is the Green Left Radio, of course. Uh, pleasure to have you on board. Now, you are bouncing around with energy and excitement because lots of things happening around the referendum planned for the 1st October, October for Catalonia. And I believe there's some severe reactions from the current Spanish state. Maybe you want to outline the latest reaction from the Spanish government. Well, what is what is happening now as we're talking is that the Spanish state in the form of the civil guard ordered by a judge is uh, has occupied all the main ministries in, of the Catalan government in Barcelona. And they have also arrested 12 uh, senior officials of the Catalan government. And so, and there is a reaction to that by the people in the streets. Obviously, there's demonstrations taking place outside all these these ministries. This is the culminating point of the offensive launched by the um, Spanish government. Ever since uh, on the September the sixth, the Catalan government, uh, the Catalan Parliament, adopted its referendum law, which was the enabling law and the law which would cover the referendum, which is set for October the first, which the Spanish government is determined to stop. Uh, the Spanish government is painting this as a undemocratic revolt, um, as breaking the, uh, constitu- the Spanish constitution, uh, and basically what you, what you've got is a kind of uh, democratic rebellion in Catalonia, uh, which is growing uh, as we speak. Um, What will happen now, we don't know. The Catalan government is meeting. Uh, If the Spanish government is going to keep following this course, they're going to have to start arresting the Catalan government. They're going to have to close down Catalan uh, television and radio. They're going to have to, you know, finally sort of carry out the whole... Uh, box and dice of a uh, state of siege, state of exception Um, and that's what it looks like is happening now Uh, all this has been broadcast live on Catalan uh, public uh, television uh, but of course the Spanish state may decide that the Catalan public television has to go off air, I wouldn't be surprised at all Mm. I mean it's it's hard to to exactly hone in on to one particular area but what, how is the uh, reaction from the Catalan people? I know they're, they're demonstrating in front of um, uh, the ministries that have been occupied by the government. Uh, are there any, is there any violence? Is there any um, well, counter no, move? There's no violence because this movement is determined not to be violent and uh, violence would be the perfect excuse that the Spanish state would, would, would want in order to justify a military to actually send in, send in the troops or send in, you know, more of the civil guard. So the tactics of the movement are very uh, intelligent, which is mass demonstrations uh, and outside of the, um, the centres of where these occupations are taking place. Uh, and then uh, we'll see what the government calls for, but I imagine we'll be having a huge demonstration, series of demonstrations, uh, in Barcelona and in the whole the whole of, of Catalonia soon, 
and that that will be news all around the world. So the, the, the point will be to make the political price of this for the Spanish government as high as possible. Whether or not it is possible under these circumstances to go ahead with the referendum uh, looks pretty unlikely, but I don't know that. The Catalan government says they've got plan B, plan C, plan D. Um, but I would have thought just by the, ac the actions of the Spanish government that they're prepared to do anything to stop the referendum taking place on October the 1. October 1. We hear all sorts of rumours of what, what substance there is to them, I don't know. But one of the rumours is that they've got 4,000 uh, police lined up to send into Catalonia to uh, occupy polling stations if things get to that point. Um, the point, of course, for Democrats and for people who are supporting the right of Catalonia's to self-determination is to make this the price of this, the political price of this, uh, as big as possible. There's already signs of that. Yesterday, the uh, new right uh, hipster party, Citizens, the cool party, put a motion to the Congress, the Spanish Congress, uh, of support for what the government's tactics were, the, the uh, popular People's Party government's tactics, the Rajoy government's tactics were. And the Socialist Party, which has generally supported or has supported uh, these tactics to date, voted against it. So that this actual motion went down. Uh, within the Socialist Party, that caused ructions and because three of their most uh, pro-Spanish uh, Spanish centralism uh, people abstained, so you can you can start to, you can start to see the political fault lines developing, um, and I can't see that that won't continue. Just wondering, what sort of support um, does the independence movement have across the nation, across Spain by itself? Uh, the in, by, Catalonia itself is divided on the question of independence. The irony of all of this is if they if they'd had. If the Spanish state and Spanish centralism, which is really a continuation of the Francoist mentality of Spain is one great and free and it's, you know, it will not be divided, indivisible, that's the magic word. Uh, if that mentality had, a, that mentality prevented uh, Spanish ruling elites from accepting a Scottish-style referendum here. Uh, if there had been a Scottish-style referendum, it's highly likely, in my opinion, though other people would disagree, that uh, the independence position would not have won because there's a lot of people who want a different relation between Catalonia and the Spanish state, but they don't necessarily want independence. Mm. Um, but what has happened because of the intransigence of the Spanish state, the pro-independence feeling is growing and all polls are showing um, that you know it's closer to closer and closer to 50 percent and above 50 percent uh and if this referendum goes ahead if it if it goes ahead there will be a clear majority for independence because a lot of the people who are opposed to it will boycott won't vote um so and this is another reason why the spanish government had to apply these tactics they had no having said we're not going to negotiate with you about referendum, that's illegal, that's unconstitutional, then they have to do this. They have to apply the semi-military coup d'etat tactics. Yeah, so is, is this the application of the 155 um, of the uh, the article in um, the Spanish constitution? Would that be um, what they're doing? Well, they haven't. No, that's what they're doing that de facto. Oh, okay. what, this is, what, they, what they've avoided is any, <clears throat> really as much as possible, any debate 
in Parliament to get actually apply uh, Article 155, which is suspends uh, regional governments, mm. and, and that to actually apply that you have to have a debate in the Senate, uh, and you have to have that agreed to. Uh, now, the PP's got a majority in the Senate, so that wouldn't be a problem. But, the, of course, the more debate there is, the more the political price is that they will pay. The mm. more people wake up, even in the Spanish state, to what's going on. Mm. So, yes, that's... So what they've done is they've done this in the most... Sneaky uh, way, really. Sneak, sneakiest possible way. They've worked all that out. The cleverest, in inverted commas, way. But it will all come back to bite them. Because, mm. uh, and that, that will depend, of course, on the strength of the reaction here. But I can't imagine it won't be immense. I just can't imagine it. Uh, the atmosphere here is of loathing towards the Spanish state. Um, they, when they, if they call a demonstration here in the, for the next weekend or whenever, it will be absolutely immense. Mm. Uh, and it, it will be a demonstration of the complete divorce and the complete alienation of Catalonia, the majority of people in Catalonia, because we're talking here not just about pro-independence people, but also people who think there should be a referendum, which is up, up to 80% of the, uh, of the population. So you've got 80% support for having a referendum to decide the question of once and for all in Scottish style or Quebec style. Um, that includes, let's say, 45 to 50% pro-independence. But see, then you've got another 25, 30, 35% of people who want a federal Spain, a confederal Spain, mm. um, and they are also on side in this. So basically what you have in Catalonia now is 20, 25% of the population, which is just feels Spanish and will support whatever the Spanish government does, Um, and they're the people who vote for the Popular Party, vote for citizens. Uh, some of them vote for the Socialist Party, but not all the Socialist Party vote is like that. Mm. Uh, and then you've got the 75, 80% of the population who are for a democratic referendum. Yep. And that... Is, sorry, I'll, no, no, I'll stop on. there. No, no, I was, no I, was just going, I was just going to say that that is now spreading the idea of Spain as a plurinational country which has to work out how if at all all its peoples fit together uh, and that has to be on the basis of the right to decide i.e. it can't be decided from above it has to be decided by vote of the peoples uh, that is growing so and that is one of the reasons Podemos gets 20% of the vote not the only reason maybe not even the main reason but Podemos's position that Spain is a, a plurinational state Um, that it should be all the relations between the nations should be re reconfigured and that the nations one by one, uh, starting with the Catalans, obviously, should vote on how they want to relate to that state. If they want to leave, we don't want that to happen, but they've got the right to leave, which is, you know, recognition of the right to self-determination. So, um, so it wasn't so true that Podemos initially didn't support the referendum? Podemos didn't support the referendum as a binding referendum. They supported it as a mobilisation against the PP and in support of, of, of the Catalan right to decide and Catalan sovereignty. So they said, the, and there's an element of truth in this, that the, this is the way this referendum was called, left the, um, a lot of people who are, don't want to leave the Spanish state, mm. people who feel more Spanish than Catalan or feel Spanish, Uh, they felt that this referendum was uh, 
you know, being a unilateral referendum, not being agreed with the Spanish state, was being forced down their throats. Uh, and so that there would be, you know, an abstention. If this whole, if this happens, there'll be a, an abstention rate of, you know, I don't know, 35 to 45 percent. So that would be an expression of people's uh, disaffection uh, of elements of the society, and especially work, uh, most working class or some of the most working class elements in the society are people who've migrated into Catalonia from other parts of Spain in the past. So, you know, there's this discussion about what else could this referendum have been called better? Uh, could the referendum campaign have been better? Uh, that's all a big discussion here. Mm. Uh, but it's all, uh, it's all you know, hypothetical now. And basically, if you want, my position is, you know, there was not, they could have done some things better, but this is basically what had to happen. Well, they've declared war, really. But if they were smart, as I mean, according to your analysis, if the people of Catalan were divided already on the uh, relationship they want to have with Spain, the referendum wouldn't have given them anything terribly disappointing, would, would it? No, that was the way to solve it. Yeah, and 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 just, it seems that's a bit exactly, foolish. Just as in Scot, just as in Scotland. Yes, but that's what people don't understand. You say, why didn't the Spanish state agree to a referendum? Yeah, why didn't they do that? Well, that is simply a question that asks you to understand uh, what the Spanish state is, which is a continuation of um, the Francoist dictatorship yeah. and the attitudes, the attitudes of the Francoist dictatorship. So now here's Mariano Rajoy on television in front of me now talking about we are supporting the constitution. We are supporting the law against the outlaws. Uh, but of course the law is in complete dissonance with the real state of Spanish society. The law, the constitution was for, was voted for in 1978 uh, when the alternative was you either accept this constitution or we go back to dictatorship. Mm. So that, you know, the constitution is sub-democratic and now it's out of phase, it's out of, uh, uh, completely out of phase with the aspirations of society and especially with the parts of Spanish society that are most, uh, you know, most advanced, most, most, most democratic. And, you know, Catalonia is one, the Basque country is another. But not only there, Madrid, other, uh, other parts of, uh, of Spain. I mean, a very interesting uh, and telling thing was the demonstration in Madrid in support of the Catalans that was held during the week, initially banned by the court, a court, a magistrate oh. in, in, in Madrid. Uh, from taking place on council property because this is an illegal thing, this Catalan referendum. And then, so it was, they held it somewhere else and it was totally packed and the street outside was absolutely full. And everybody ended up singing, you know, a famous Catalan song of struggle. So <laughs> that's, that's, you know, that's not the whole of Madrid, Madrid society, but that's the, you know, the Madrid left and increasingly people understand this, what this is about. What sort of Spain do you want? You want a Spain where the civil guard, without even getting a court order or with a court order, can just barge in and start uh, arresting people? I mean, that's, it just feels like the old days. Yes. Uh, that's what it rings here. That's what it feels like. Mm, yeah. I'm sure the people would feel uh, very uh, cute. And, of course, that, it, 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 it rings all those bells. Yes, um, yeah. all the wrong bells for the Spanish state. But let's, tell yeah. me a little bit more about the, um, the role of the mayors who try to support this referendum. Well, what happened was you've got 948 
municipalities in, in Catalonia. Mm. Uh, the mayoral, what usually happens at election times is that the councils provide uh, the voting places, right? The, the, and so what happened was that the government asked the councils to say, would they or would they not be supplying the usual voting places, uh, you know, voting centres for the referendum, for the October 1 referendum? Um, <clears throat> so far, 700 and I think 752, don't quote me on that, but over 750 uh, maybe over 760 have said yes, 60-odd uh, have said no, and these are mainly the Socialist Party run. Um, oh, God, yes. But not only the Socialist Party run, but some mainly Socialist Party run councils, mm. and a hundred, the, the remaining 130-odd, whatever the maths is, uh, have, are still to make up their mind. Mm. Um, so that's the mayors then were then charged by the Spanish chief state prosecutor uh, who's a sort of thug, he's a legal thug, um, he was put in that job by the governments to do precisely for this occasion. He charged all the mayors with uh, uh, disobedience, oh, yeah. dis disobedience and perverting the course of justice oh. uh, and summoned the mayors, and they're presently taking place, summoned the mayors to face the prosecutors uh, and to show reason why they should not be charged. Um, wow, guilty, so, guilty that, before you <laughs> So that, well, they need to be rights, charged. That, yeah. and, that's, and that's starting already. And, and basically, this what's happening is the mayors are turning up the prosecutors, and then they're just saying we're not. Uh, they're taking their right to silence, saying nothing. Mm. And the, every time that this just happened yesterday, it's continuing today. The mayors turn up, and uh, there's a demonstration of support because uh, you know a lot of these mayors are from the more the smaller. Uh, more country parts of Catalonia, mm. so you know they've got a lot of community. They've got sort of community support. Um, it's a different, very different society to say Australia, where the most important level of voting, where you have highest level of participation, is in municipal elections. Uh, so that the, the mayor is felt to be, you know, some ours. You know, even ones we don't agree with. These they're ours. You know, uh, so that's where. That happened, and then the mayors last Saturday, uh, all these mayors had a demonstration in Barcelona. They were welcomed by uh, Arta Galau, the mayoress of Barcelona, and by Puigdemont, the premier of Catalonia. And there was a very powerful uh, oh. demonstration. There's a little clip which shows all this, which I've, I've sent out to uh, our list here from uh, from the office here in in Barcelona, uh, which is in English, which shows all the uh, everything up to. You know, this not not including today, but all the repressive moves that have been taken by the Spanish government against Catalonia. I'll try and put it on the website. Now, very quickly, the last question. What uh, has Podemos done in the last few hours in reaction to what's happened? Well, I, 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 don't know, I don't know. They're in, all in Parliament at the moment. There's a, there's a screaming match in Parliament. Um, what Podemos is going to do beyond that, I don't know. Not, there's as much they can do. Um, besides denounce it all. Mm. Uh, the, the interesting thing here is that you've got the, uh, the, the unions are out in support of the government. Oh, really? Um, okay. and, the, and there's talk, there's talk of a, a general strike. Um, against? I don't know if that against. If they're supporting against, the government, what would the strike be? No, for? no, the strike would, well, the strike would be kind of a symbolic thing, 
right? It would be to show support for the government. Um, it, or it might be a strike that's targeted on Spanish, in, Spanish state institutions in Catalonia. Oh, so that's not excluded. That's not excluded. Uh, right. So all of this will be being discussed at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, the, basically that's what's going to be the response of Catalan society and what institutions is it going to go through. Podemos can reflect that and argue for that in the rest of the state. And make and and they should do that and make as big a noise about it as possible, but the real determinant here is the, is going to be the level of resistance yes. uh, in, in in Catalonia, and uh, well we'll see. But I can't imagine that it won't be huge. Just going, I mean, just this morning people were just stopping me in the street because everybody's following this on their mobile phones, you know, in direct, you know, and they're just saying, well. Yeah, let's go. Let's get go there. Well, it's on television now. There's a photo of the uh, crowd outside the Ministry of uh, of Economy, the, the Finance Ministry. It's just growing bigger and bigger. It's huge. So yeah, that's that's where we're at. Yep. Okay. Great. Great. Thanks, Dick. That's like a blow by blow description of what's going on. Um, we might get back to you next week, depending on how things unfold. Whenever you want to. Thanks very much, Lolly. Thanks. Thanks Bye. a lot. That was um, Dick Nichols, who is the correspond- European correspondent for um, Europe. Um, no, he is a Green Left Weekly correspondent for <laughs> Europe. Sorry, apologies for that, um, for Europe. And he's a regular contributor to other programs on 3C as well. He was kind enough to um, let us know about this. And as you uh, would have heard, um, this news has not been covered by the mainstream media. And there is a lot of... Um, disturbances happening in Catalan and people have been arrested. 15 officials have been arrested since this interview. That's uh, only a day ago. Last night uh, it was on Catalan News for people who want to follow what's going on. Um, incredible amount of um, uh, disruption, people on the streets and um, they f- they feel um, the, the hands of Franco almost according to some news items. But anyway, that was Dick Nichols um, from Spain giving us an update and we shall go back to, to update that if um, things blow out of proportion um, and, and maybe even follow up what's happening anyway. So, Jacob, you w- uh, wanted to say something before that? Uh, uh, yeah, what- you're listening to 3CR on 855 on AM dial yeah. and this is Green Left Weekly Radio yeah. and this is Jacob and Alita at the helm. Yeah, so I just wanted to talk Talk about um, started with a discussion about um, this is the latest article in Green Left Weekly, um, the latest Green Left Weekly on French politics. You know, we're talking about um, you know Spain, Spain. So French. Now yeah. we can talk about um, what's happening France. in France. Um, so Elizabeth um, Latham has written an article here about um, how mass protests have kind of bega- um, began in response to Macron's kind of attacks on workers' rights. Um, you know they've held their first day, they held their first day of major day of protest on September the nineteenth, um, September the twelfth, um, which was organised by the um, France's militant unions. Um, of course, their protests were seen as the start of the campaign to defend workers' rights. Um, it also served as a major test for the capacity of the movement to mobilise working people. While France's unions are divided as to how to respond to the attacks, um, the protests include um, included more than four thousand strikes and protests in 200 cities and towns across France. Um, the General Confederation of Workers, CGT, estimated that 500,000 took part. Um, the largest protests w- um, were in Paris and Marseille, where 60,000 had marched. 
Of course, you know, amid, amid debate over the size and um, success of these protests, um, the CJT said in a statement that the day was a veritable success. Um, there were a number of factors that made it harder to mobilise workers on September 12th compared with demonstrations against anti-worker laws last year. The text of the, um, the proposed law was published only two weeks before the protests and the divisions of the, in the labour movement are worse than last year. Uh, more conservative federations refused to take part, with only the CGT, the United Union Federation, and the Trade Union Solidaires supporting the mobilisations. Uh, the September um, 12 protests were also supported by France's main universities and um, main university and high school student unions. Um, I guess now to two, um, skipping ahead to a number of kind of things. Um, one of um, one of you know Macron's kind of has a number of planned attacks on workers in France. And, of course, he's claiming it kind of using the kind of neoliberal um, double... What's term, whatever term? Actually, I may all think of a less intelligent term just say that it's just one of the kind of neoliberal terms of, you know, trying to justify these, um, these attacks on workers by saying that they will lower unemployment. Um, so these key changes that um, workers are protesting against um, and that Macron is trying to push is that cut, um, uh, is cutting the number of workplace representatives in small and medium-sized enterprises by amalgamating existing representative bodies, um, cutting and capping the amount of compensation that workers who have been unfairly dismissed can receive. Very familiar. Um, <laughs> increasing the range of conditions that can be negotiated at the enterprise level rather than in national industry-wide agreements. Such conditions can undercut the high-level conditions due to changes in the law last year. A vote on which mat- um, on these matters can be initiated with the support of unions representing just 30% of the workforce, even if unions representing more than 50% of workers opposed to grant. Previously, these unions would have been able to veto a vote. Um, then includes also increase the use of fixed-term contracts in preference to permanent employment, um, enable companies to initiate changes to workers' contracts, um, and dismiss workers who reject the change. When assessing whether redundancies should go ahead in multinational companies with um, sites like in France, only the performance of the parts of the company in France will be considered. So these are the, the range of different attacks that are that are happening um, going, but of course there is widespread anger over these tax, which is reflected on in the, the strong demonstrations. And of course, Lisbeth um, then concludes the article by arguing, you know, if we t- to defeat this push, the movement will have to build an escalating campaign, creating the fear in the government's minds that they might lose control. The next step will be the strikes and protests called by the CGT for September 21st, which I think which should be soon, so we'll create here a part which I think it might have already passed, um, in protests called by Jean-Luc Mélenchon's left-wing group France unbited at the at, um, Bastille at, on September the 23rd. Okay, so let's go for a break, um, and then we'll come back to more news. You're invited to the Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering on the 7th and 8th of October at the Victoria Trades Hall in Nam, Melbourne. Speakers from Latin America, so-called Australia... West Papua, Aotearoa and other communities will come together to share their struggles, setbacks and victories. In two days of speakers, workshops, stalls, music, food, discussion, building bridges and more. 
the 2017 Indigenous and Grassroots Movement Solidarity Gathering, October 7th and 8th at the Victoria Trades Hall. While colonialism, capitalism and neoliberalism are global, so is the resistance. For more information, including donations and how to volunteer, email lasnet.solidarity at gmail.com or call 0425 539 then get along and support 3CR at the Palace Withcast Cinemas, 89 High Street, Northcote, on Thursday, October 5th, from 6.30pm, for a screening of Battle of the Sexes. You're offering the men's winner eight times what you're offering the women's winner. The men are simply more exciting to watch. It's just biology. <laughs> the story of the infamous tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Tickets are $25 and $20 concession. You can purchase online at 3cr.org.au direct from the station at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy, or by phoning 9419 8377 during business hours. All funds raised go to keeping 3CR on air. Battle of the Sexes screening, Thursday, October the 5th from 6.30pm. Does she have the nerve? Call Barbie. Time it's on. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Tatman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. So tune in to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your AM dial on Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. If you've just tuned in, this is 3CR and Green Left Weekly Radio. Um, if you're enjoying the program, please do think about um, donating. Uh, we're still a little behind on the um, Radiothon and money to support the program uh, running. As you know, um, 3CR is a voluntary station and we do cover a lot of news um, that mainstream media doesn't cover, like the interview I just played um, with Dick Nichols from Europe, and you didn't, you haven't heard a peep about what's happened in Catalan and Spain in the mainstream media, and this is the sort of news we present. So please dig deep and do donate uh, to keep the show on air, and nominate um, Green Left Weekly Radio program as your nominated program um, for the don- donation. So please um, consider. Donating, and as you know, um, anything over $2 is tax-deductible. Okay, Jacob, more news. We're talking about, um, well, I was, think, I was thinking, you know, we should say something about the hurricanes that are, that are lashing the Caribbean. Um, and someone's done an interview who, I'll, I'll tell you later who, written this, who has written this article. And it's, it's about um, the worsening reality of weather-related disasters and how it's explicitly recorded in a little unnoticed United Nations Office of, uh, for Disaster. It's a small office in the mm. UN. 
and Risk Reduction Report, it's called, The Human Cost of Weather-Related Disasters, 1995 to 2015. And the report uh, found between uh, 95 and 2015, there were 6,457 weather-related disasters around the world, and 30,000 lives each year um, have been claimed, uh, with an additional 4.1 billion people injured, left homeless, or in a need of emergency assistance. Really interesting because I was watching Q&A last week and this guy from um, the, uh, what is the newspaper from the US uh, was saying that, um, you know, the, the climate um, uh, defense people were saying that um, that there would be 50 million people who would be homeless, mm. um, you know, by 2015. And he said that they have been proven to be wrong. And yet you've got a UN report that says that 4.1 billion people have been injured or, or been left homeless and uh, or, or have needed emergency assistance. So he obviously doesn't know where his figures come from. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because the Fre- Fred Magdoff is a U.S. professor um, Emeritus, I never know what that means. Anyway, of plant soil science at the University of Vermont and co-author of Creating an Ecological Society Towards a Revolutionary Transformation and is published um, by Monthly Review Press. And Mark Carlin interviewed um, Professor Magdoff and he's asking a series of questions and I'll give readers a taste of um, some of the answers that um, Professor Magdoff um, gives to some of the questions posed. So the question posed was, in summary, what would you, uh, what would an ecological society look like? So Professor Magdoff answers, we know an incredible amount about how to use eco- ecologically sound ways to produce what we need for a good life. Although we will learn even more as time goes on, we already know how to grow high yield of food, how to create healthy soil using ecologically sound uh, practices without synthetic pesticides and and fertilizers. We know how to produce cleaner energy using renewable resources and how to store energy for intermittent sources uh, such as wind and solar. And we know to build appropriate and flexible use uh, structures, making for easy um, repurposing, how to better recycle human waste uncontaminated with industrial pollutants back to farmland, and to raise farm animals and humanely, how to harvest ocean fish sustainably, and how to use aquifers sustainably. It's really interesting. There's so much we know mm-hmm. that we don't use. And I was thinking, wow. That is really, really positive and, and optimistic. And, and this is a real, this is knowledge that we already have. Um, and he was under capitalism, people are at the service of the economy. And that is the problem. And you always hear, oh, you know, you need base power. And it all relates to how capitalism wants to run its industries as opposed to how people should be able to live. And, and the arguments are really, really uh, sort of smeared um, in, in a sense to, to camouflage what is it that is possible as opposed to what is happening, for example, South Australia or the disaster and everything. Um, the reality is they could have done a lot better and they didn't do it. And he, he goes, goes on to say that in contrast, the economy of an ecological society will be at the service of humanity and its needs, which of course includes a biodiverse and clean environment. Instead of being based on the profit motive, decisions made about production and consumption of material goods will, will place 
place emphasis on having positive effects on humans and the health of um, a broader environment. So he goes on. He gives a very you know lengthy and in-depth answer to that. The second question, I'll, I'll briefly visit that, then we can move on. And he says, how does cap- the question is, how does capitalism impede the development of an ecological society? And, and I guess it's, it's an important question. Um, it's by its very nature, he answers, capitalism operates in ways that harm people and the broader environment. The purpose of capitalism is to produce something, a good, a good goods or services using hired labor, raw material and machinery, and sell it for more than the production cost. The motivation and driving force of the system is making more and more money by producing and selling commodities. As an ecologist and scientist, um, Richard Levins wrote, agriculture is not about producing food, but about profit. Food is a side, side effect. Health service is a commodity, health a byproduct. If some people's needs are met because they have good income, that's how the system is supposed to work. But for the poor and near poor, their needs for food or health care or decent housing or clean water are not met, forcing them to rely on mostly inadequate government programs and charities. That is also the way the system is supposed to work. So that's in summary, and there's lots of words. It's actually a, a two-page article, which is really comprehensive and um, very well written, actually. And... Um, People who are interested can look it up online. And, of course, we encourage people to subscribe to the newspaper to keep it going. And um, subs are really um, simply available on the web. Just go to the web, Green Left Weekly, mm-hmm. and you'll find And I think it's slash subscription. If you go to the Green Left Weekly website, you can find it. Okay. Um, so that's some sort of, some sort of positive um, approach to the whole thing because mm. the whole thing seems to be a horrible mess at the moment um, given the, the Korean and US um, uh, loggerhead stuff is, is re- that what Trump said yesterday was appalling but anyway you go, um, Jacob. <laughs> oh, I don't really have any um, particular articles to share at the moment. Uh, I thought you had a you were planning to do a few more. Yeah, there's, there's a thing on uh, Rohingyas I want to talk about. Mm. I, I wanted to talk about uh, what um, Trump said and um, about. Well, there's actually just one recent thing about Rohingya. Um, just to talk, um, mention this, um, but basically. Um, there's been a number of refugees that are coming from there and our Australian government, in all its cruelty, um, nothing can surprise me what they do, are actually paying some of these refugees to go back, to you know, to use the, the phrase, back to where they came from, where they could potentially face persecution or be killed. And, yeah, um, you know, they need, um, they're all just part of the kind of... There's going to be a protest um, in support of refugees on the 8th of um, October. So encourage people to get along to that, um, you know, to protest against the continued ongoing cruelty. The, the, National, oh, sorry. the National Union um, of Workers, the NUW, joined um, with Melbourne's Rohingya community on the 7th of September to um, protest the genocide against uh, the Rohingyas in Myanmar. And we know that Hong Kong Suu Kyi is being held to account. Um, although you can say, well, she's one person, what can she do? And yes, she is under working with the military dictatorship. I think we can always make excuses uh, for people, but she can make uh, at least, at least, you know, not pretend, but uh, let people know that she's aware of the genocide. And um, it's, 
it's very disappointing and people around the world are wringing their hands and, and shaking their heads in disappointment at a lack of response from her, indicating that she actually understands the plight of the Rohingya. And the Rohingya have been living in, in their um, Arakan um, province and across uh, the, the border of Bangladesh and Burma for centuries. And despite that, they have been now deprived of their homeland and they've become refugees in their own country. They've been refused citizenship um, in Burma and Bangladesh is treating them as refugees, which is um, something they, they are struggling to do because um, there's heaps of flooding in Bangladesh. And of course, the mainstream media once again has not talked about the flooding that happened in Nepal, um, Bangladesh and, and parts of India. And we have to say that it's quite racist the way the the media is covering or not covering the disasters in the Asian region. Their only focus has been uh, Trump and and, um, Korea and ignore the rest of um, the nations and China only because they're competing um, economically. So they're ignoring like over 2 billion people um, to to cover issues that that seem to affect white people. Mm. And yes, Mexico is in in dire straits, but they, they cannot just ignore um, it's such a large portion of the world and uh, is a constant irritant on my side, at least, about the, the, the racist nature of the coverage that's occurring. Mm. Now, uh, coming back to the Rohingyas, the community in, in Melbourne have family members who have been killed in the current genocide attacks on the Rohingya in uh, Myanmar and solidarity with the Rohingya has been expressed by the ACTU President Jet Khani and a delegation from the Sikh community. So the uh, ABRO, which is the Australian Burma Rohingya Organization, um, uh, there's a spokesperson by the name of Habib uh, who has said that today we, are, we hope to raise our voices on behalf of oppressed Rohingya and the common people who are facing ongoing genocide in uh, Rakhine or Arakan state of the Western Myanmar, of Western Myanmar or Burma. And also for the continuous waging of wars against um, other minorities. So this is an ongoing issue. Once again, uh, we have to go out and protest about the oppression of another minority group in, in, in a country. And this seems to be on the rise um, and like you know about 20,000 people have been trapped in um, the south where more than 30,000 people are trapped in the mountains and since nine, 2012 the Rohingyas and the Kamas, Kamans um, from um, Arakan state have been totally excluded um, segregated so we have a lot of work to do in that area so um, there's, uh, is there a protest coming up later on that we're going to talk about uh, Jacob um, the Rohingya, I think there's something coming up. About, uh, there's there's no to, protests um, being planned at any but point. But there's a forum coming up, and we'll keep you informed, I'm sure. There is a forum coming up where um, um, people from the Rohingya community are being invited to speak, yep. and we will get back to you with more news on that. But go, going on, there's another bit of news on... Um, Something more positive again. I like positive news. Yep. So we're going to the uh, feminist revolution in uh, northern Syria and the Kurdish community. So the northern Syria's feminist revolution is the title of a one-day seminar to be held in Victoria University on the 4th of November. And it's being jointly organized by the Kurdish Democratic Community Center of Victoria, the Kurdish Women's League of Victoria, and the Australians for Kurdistan Solidarity Group. It's also being sponsored by Victoria University 
Kurdish Community Identity and Displacement Research Network. The Kurdish women gained international prominence during the siege of Nazarene town of uh, Kobani in 2014 and 15. Their heroic um, frontline role in the resistance to the brutal women-hating Islamic State gangs produced both widespread admiration and curiosity, which has continued to this day. And interesting, I always remember this woman who was being, Kurdish woman who was being um, interviewed, and uh, the interviewer said, why do you choose to fight? Um, you know, isn't it hard as a woman to fight in a war? And she said, you know what? The choice I have is either be raped and be beaten up by uh, thugs um, from the other side or carry a gun and defend myself. Hmm. And it was a clear choice. I mean, it was very well thought out and she knew exactly what the choices were. And that is why the women had been fighting. So the um, conference is coming up on the 4th of November and we have a Dutch journalist, uh, Frederike Jardink, I am sure I'm not pronouncing it right there, um, who was based in Turkey from 2006, will be speaking at the seminar. By the way, apologies for the mispronunciation. Mm. Um, in 2015, while reporting on the renewed war between Turkish army and the Kurdish resistance forces, um, Girdink was uh, detained by the Turkish police and subsequently expelled. And the other speaker we have is um, Hauzin Aziz, who will address the seminar via video link from Kobane. She came to Australia as a Kurdish... Hojin. Sorry? Hojin is her name. Oh, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. And pardon me again. Um, Iraq, she left, um, she came to Australia as a Kurdish um, refugee from Iraq at the age of 11, lived in Western Sydney and went on to lecture in politics in Newcastle University. So today, today, Aziz is based in Kobani and works for the city, city reconstruction board. And there's a draft agenda for this conference. Um, it's available on um, one word. Uh, it's uh, Australians for Kurdistan. It's, it's, it's one continuous word there. So Australians for Kurdistan dot org. So tickets can be purchased online, or you can buy it at the seminar itself. So once again, it's the Victoria University, fourth of November. We'll give you further details in the announcement section. So it is eight o'clock, and we will move on to the announcement section calendar. Mm. You have to sleep there, Jacob. You didn't have much sleep last night. Yeah, but I'm fine. <laughs> uh, I should be fine to do this activist calendar. So just to um, to inform you, um, the activist calendar you know tells you about you know different upcoming events that you can get involved in. Um, so this Saturday, um, there's apparently going to be a book reading of Dam Ofakados. Um, yeah, Al- difficult Al- names today, haven't we? Alamaro uh, Wilson reads from his new novel, which is loosely based on the real life occupation of a sky. Scraper in Caracas in Venezuela. Caracas. Caracas. Caracas in um, Venezuela. That will be at 3 p.m. at the New International Bookshop, Trades Hall Basement, 54 Victoria Street, Carlton South. Um, There'll be, uh, this is, uh, I'll just quick, we'll be advertising this again later because we're actually going to be interviewing um, this comedian, but there's going to be uh, a series of comedy shows as part of the Melbourne um, Fringe Festival um, from Sean Bedlam, who's quite a well-known political activist yes, and he's comedian. Very good. Um, his show is called Deaf to America. I know, sounds funny. And that's going to be from Monday, September the 25th to Sunday the 1st of October at the Courthouse Hotel at the Dock, which is the corner of Errol and Queensbury Street in North Melbourne. And you can probably make bookings by searching Sean Bedlam, Deaf to the America, <laughs> um, and, or as part of the Melbourne Fringe Festival. 
So there'll be some theater happening, um, Echo, um, which I think is something about some kind of feminism kind of. Yeah, it's ba- yeah, it's basically about motherhood and some kind of feminism. That's going to be from September twenty seventh to October the first at the La Mama Courthouse. Hang on, let's read that properly, okay? Theatre. It's um, it's at the Echo that you're talking about. Yeah. It's a uh, buckle up. Let's take a trip down unplanned pregnancy lane and a journey through the perilous and often thankless terrain of motherhood. Not some kind of mega- uh, feminism, Jacob. It is about um, unplanned pregnancies. We'll be tearing down some updated ideologies and and social stigmas along the way as we deal with relationship breakups and personal breakdowns. So it is a clear um, a play. Uh, it, it's at the La Mama Courthouse, it, uh, which is at 349 Drummond Street. And it will tackle misogyny and, and the not-so-subtle pressures for women to procreate. Moving on to infertility and abortion sounds like a, a, a fantastic combination of, of feminist issues that are going to be hopefully um, with a bit of comedy being tackled by this group of people. So, as I said, it's at the La Mama Courthouse on the 27th, from the 27th of September to the 1st of October. Of October. So if you enjoy feminist jokes, that's a place to be. Um, September 29th, theatre. D Place, presented by this mob, collective of emerging indigenous artists, in collaboration with local organizations and community. D Place is a series of live art performances and events. Traveling between locations along Gertrude Street, the event will engage a community critiquing the ongoing gentrification of uh, Fitzroy and allowing the movement of black bodies to, to found D Place. Um, and the Theatre is at the Curry Club, 43 Gertrude Street, um, Fitzroy. And um, it's on the 29th of September at the Curry Club. Okay, the next announcement is um, Yes Feast. Oh, it's, it's now known as the Rainbow Walk. Is that what it is? Okay, yeah. you want to cover that? Yeah, I'll co- co- so basically this is going to be a, a rally and mobilisation for marriage equality um, happening at 1pm at the State Library. We'll have a range of speakers, but that should be, um, if it's anything like the last Melbourne rally, it should be massive. So I um, definitely encourage you um, all to listening to attend. Um, for next Thursday um, on October the 5th. Um, Very important film screening. Battle of the Sexes, one of my favourite um, uh, tennis games of the century. Um, he made a bet, he made her story. The story of Billie Jean King, um, 1973 victory over Bobby Riggs in the infamous tennis match. Battle of the Sexes at 6.30 um, at Westgarth Palace Cinemas. Uh, tickets are 25 and 20. Um, and it's a fundraiser for 3CR. So those who um, would like to have a good evening, um, enjoy a, a great film. Do come and support 3CR in this um, fundraising movie. Um, the next uh, forum is a Syria conflict. Who should be who should the left support? Is a panel of speakers from 7 p.m. at the international workshop. Um, Trades Hall Basement. It's 54 Victoria Street, Carlton. On the 8th of October, Rally for Refugees. An important one again. End offshore processing and mandatory detention. Bring them here. Let them stay. All slogans in support of refugees. 2 p.m. State Library, 328 Swanson Street. 
organised by the Refugee Action Collective. I just want to quickly make a few announcements that are not reflected on the activist calendar we have printed. Um, so I mentioned before there's going to be a marriage equality event um, in Moreland called Moreland Says Yes to Marriage Equality where we'll be mobilising people um, to come together to make a yes human sign. So that'll be at Friday the 29th of September at 2pm at the Clifton Park 377 Albert Street in Brunswick. Um, another rally will be happening on Sunday the 15th of October um, from 1pm um, in in defence of public housing. Um, that's going to be going to have a range of speakers, um, possibly potentially some children's activities, um, and that is going to be uh, everyone's going to be gathering at Deb at Deb uh, Debney Park, which is um, in Flemington, um, sort of right in walk from walking distance of. Um, the Flemington train station. And an important one because there are many of these um, uh, rallies coming up. That's another one actually on the 18th of October in defence of uh, public housing. It's at 2pm, Parliament Step, Spring Street, hosted by Defend and Extend Public Housing. Um, Next announcement, it's uh, 21st of October. (coughs) Sorry. Um... It's walking Walk Together, 2017, 11 a.m. at the State Library. Um, and that's about the walk uh, of the Aboriginal community uh, that has been in, in, in support of the struggles. Uh, Friday, October 20th, Deep Ecology Workshop, uh, conducted by John Seed, Camp Eureka, 100 Tarango uh, Road, Junction hosted by the Rainforest Information Center. So that's Deep Ecology Workshop. And you can look it up on um, the um, website and, and you should uh, Google for Deep Ecology Workshop and you'll get the details. I'm sorry, I don't have the details here. Uh, 5th of November, the Australians for Kurdistan who meet regularly, these are campaigns that are ongoing. So we shall um, make room for them today as we have got a bit of time on our hands. So that's the Australians for Kurdistan. As we said before, they're having a conference coming up. And this is this group talks about Rojava and the liberated zones in North uh, Syria, Turkey and elsewhere um, for for um, campaign and open letter to, ha- to have the PKK uh, removed from the Australian list of terrorists organizations meets on the first Wednesday of each month for more info uh, do google afk and it's also on facebook australian unemployed workers union is an organization by the unemployed for the unemployed our mission is to protect the common interest of the um, currently unemployed people or 750,000 australians who are unemployed uh, of course there's the west papua association that also meets regularly um, and who's struggling against the Indonesian occupation and f- to see when they are having events, please ring 95102193. And Climate Action Morlin, again, a regular group that meets, ring Andrea 0424-508-535. And uh, there's also the Friends of Earth's Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective, ACE, meeting every Tuesday at the Friends of the Earth office, uh, 312 Smith Street. Um, you can visit for, for de- more details. 
and we am going to have to stop it there because the next interview is um ready to go um here we go welcome to 3CR Sean Good morning. Well, How we are you? We haven't been introducing <laughs> yes, Sean yet. Yes, we Okay. So this is Sean Bedlam, and Jacob's going to introduce him. Yep. So we have Sean Bedlam in the studio. Oh, well, not no, in the studio. In the studio. He's, He's on online. the phone. He's Thank on the phone. Um, he is a, a comedian um, and also a political activist, and he has uh, a pro- um, as we. I need to find actually what it's called again. Yes, he has a he has a show coming up um, next week or you know, this Monday from September the twenty fifth to Sunday October the first called Deaf to America. So we have him um, here today to talk about um, his new um, show. And you know, well, Sean, why don't you t- um, start off? Tell us about your show. Now, why are you so anti American, Sean? Let us know. Uh, well, um, yeah, the show is called. To America because You're a bit soft. Uh, can you get closer to the phone coming through? Oh, here we go. Is yep. it better? Yeah, yep. a little bit better. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, the show's called Death to America. It's a stand-up comedy show. I decided to call it Death to America almost like a challenge. I just thought it would be very funny and see if I could get away with doing a show called Death to America, see if I got in trouble for it or not. Are oh, you won't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Not the way Trump's running the show. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I, I sort of thought um, that uh, people who were a bit radical, um, maybe the world has caught up to us, yeah, if you know what I mean, in the last you know, year. Mm. So what, what, what specifically do you want to... Um, what he says, uh, put in satire. You, in, in, uh, what about what is it about America you want to make fun of? Put it that way. Uh, well, I mean, my thinking is that at this point, the the US is pretty much cooked and on the way out as uh, as a superpower uh, since you know, Donald Trump took office. I think that's the one big change, uh, the one big historical change. Is that with a, a clown like that in power, who it's impossible for anyone to take seriously. Yeah, that means that you know, the USA uh, you know, follows him into not being taken seriously anymore, and they've had their they've had their century uh, in charge. And um, I wanted to have a think about what the world would look like you know what, what's the vision for a world without uh the u.s exerting such crushing power all around the globe you want to give the taste of what we're going to hear in death to america oh Are you going to... <laughs> I, don't, I don't want to I don't, if i i don't want to give away any of the uh any the punchlines and all that <laughs> that's exactly that's right i yeah. mean I guess. I guess um, the next question is, why should people go to your show? Because it's very, very, very funny. <laughs> That's why it's very silly, amongst other things. I mean, you know, I've given the the, the show a fairly idiotic name. I hope uh, people you know, uh, hear about the show and see the poster and uh, get the idea that it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, I'm a uh, mad lefty, but um, uh, not interested in delivering a 50-minute rant about the evils 
uh, of uh, American Empire. Uh, it's a it's a funny show. I've made a point of uh, making it as silly as humanly possible. <laughs> yes, it's uh, funny that um, people like Trump and Bush before him have been great fodder for comedians, haven't they? Yes, that's true. Well, um, uh, I must say, Trump, I think there might be two jokes <laughs> in the show that are actually about Donald Trump. Oh, that's um, a pity. He's, well, it's just he's just the, the, the jumping off point mm. um, for... Uh, yeah, uh, everything else, you know. Well, uh, the, the 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 idea that um, with the rise or the the popularity of people like uh, Bernie Sanders and uh, Jeremy Corbyn mm. um, suggests that there is a new there's a there's a, there's a, a, a different world coming. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I also that there has to be a different world coming or, or we're doomed, basically. Yes, um, that's quite funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it just has to happen. I mean, yeah, I, I look at my own future and I'll be, for instance, I'll be renting for the rest of my life, you know, mm. uh, and I'll be working to pay the rent uh, for the rest of my life, which just that alone um, is terrible um just just that one small thing alone just to having to work until i'm 80 or yes 90 or whatever oh that is if you live to 80 <laughs> that's, that's if i live that it long, depends on the right. health system then doesn't it <laughs> but yeah 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 and I've, that's like a yeah, <clears throat> I've always always been curious about this the, the humour uh, comedians have been able to create out of something that is so serious and yeah. so devastating. How do you guys uh, do that? That's what I want to know. I think everyone does it, don't they? When they're uh, presented with impossible situations, uh, you either laugh or you cry. <laughs> True. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, well, and at the moment, it's uh, you know. It's, I don't know, like gallows humour, because uh, we look at the future. You look at climate change. Uh, for it, just just yeah, looking at climate change is extremely depressing. So it's uh, very funny. <laughs> yes, it can be, can't it? And you've you've got to lighten the 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 whole topic, haven't you? Otherwise, you can just die of depression. Looking around you, as you say, the housing situation, the health situation, and look at Kim Kim Jong Un and and Trump. With with their the, the fingers on the trigger, and you're wondering which one's going to press it first. Well, yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, uh, well. To be honest, I I, I look at the, the North Korea and uh, Donald Trump situation, and to me, it's almost like it's not even real. You know, <laughs> it's it's so far out there that it's it's comical, um, which might be just my brain protecting itself from the horror. <laughs> I know, but you, you've got to have some defences, haven't you? You've got to survive. You Absolutely. Know. If you uh, took all of this 100% seriously all day long, you'd go mad. Absolutely right. <laughs> and that's why we need comedians like you to help us lighten the situation and be able to survive this sort of idiots who are that's around, it. who are threatening our lives and, and, the, and endangering the whole world with their stupidity. And it's a total lack of humanity almost, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. I think... Um yeah, the rich and the powerful become so removed from what's real that the world is just a game to them. Uh, 
uh, you know, I mean, I, I'm hoping that the big change that comes is that we get rid of you know hierarchical structures of power and uh, we replace them with you know, grassroots, flattened, anarchic leadership where people represent themselves instead of being represented by people who are super rich and don't even know how we live. Mm. But before I let you go, you're making a joke of New Zealanders here. Sorry? You're making jokes of New Zealanders, I believe. Not that I'm a New Zealander. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, there is a... a well, it's a, it's, uh, that's a, actually one of the darkest jokes. Uh, well, actually, no, I don't think... I think I'm cutting this joke out of the show because I can't find a way to make it fit. But but, so but can, it's part of... But it's part of, it's part of the... Um, Just but wait. It's, but it's part of the advertisement now, so... Yeah, yeah, well, yeah that's right. From, <laughs> you from, can't yeah. cut it out. <laughs> no, this is, this is a thing from six months ago we wrote this. Okay. Um, that thing, well, so the idea is that the 1%, the super rich are buying up land in the in New Zealand, um, which I was reading about this in The Guardian a while back, and they're buying up land to escape to for, you know, where... When civilization collapses or begins to collapse, um, and I was sort of thinking, well, in that case, we're going to have to bomb New Zealand flat <laughs> to make the one percent focus on, you know, some more immediate issues, which is a terrible shame because <laughs> New Zealanders are, are really cool people, but they just got to go. Like <laughs> a humanity. But, so. but you know, the amount of um, um, earthquakes they've had. There wouldn't be any New Zealand. You don't even have to nuke it. The, the earth will take care of it by the sounds of it so far. There's so many of them happening there. Christchurch has been devastated by so many repeated um, uh, earthquakes. But yeah. anyway, we've got to move on. I guess to close um, the interview, can you tell us, um, Sean, about um, what, what times your shows are going to be playing and what dates and where it's going to be? Yeah, the show's at the Courthouse Hotel in North Melbourne, uh, opposite North Melbourne Town Hall, which is the Fringe Hub. Uh, it's at the courthouse starting on this coming Monday, going through till Sunday. And the show's uh, 7.15pm uh, every night until Sunday, it's an hour earlier uh, on the Sunday, it's 6.15. And, um, yeah, it's very easy to find online. Yeah, yeah. It's on it's just off Arrow Street, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's on the corner of Arrow and Queensbury. Okay, those those who want help to cope with uh, warmongers like Trump and <laughs> Kim Jong Un, this is your chance yeah. to lighten up, enjoy, and take your mind off the depressions of the, what the world's presenting today. Go and watch um, and listen to Sean Bedlam. That's America. Thank you, John. Thank you very much. And good luck with it. Thank you. Okay, bye. Okay. All right, so you're listening to Green Left um, Weekly Radio. Um, we're just listening to Sean Bedlam. Um, he's a com- yeah, political comedian who's going to be doing his show this coming Monday, um, Deaf to America. All right, so I guess um, we have like a few minutes um, to finish up with some news um, from Green Left Weekly. Is there any kind of articles that you would like to share? Well, yeah, there's this this one that's 
burning a hole in my stomach, basically, and yeah. I have to get it off, off my chest. It's about um, the former New South Wales Roads Minister, um, Duncan Gay, who's joined the list of recently designed New South Wales MPs who have taken lucrative jobs with the corporations associated with their former portfolio. Gay, a former National Party leader, left Parliament at the end of July. The Parliamentary Ethics Committee has only just become aware that he is working as an advisor with the MU Group, a company bidding for and winning New South Wales government transport contracts. The MU Group has recently been awarded contracts for consultancy services on the Parramatta Light Rail project worth more than $1.6 million. Um, how convenient to have Gay on board as consultant, just as the New South Wales government plans to privatise Sydney Motorways Corporation, the body overseeing the controversial and scandal-ridden West Connex. So this, this, this fashion almost—it's it's parliamentarians who resign and then have lucrative jobs with major companies for massive salaries. And this has happened in Queensland. We've seen a couple of previous ministers in Queensland who are employed in private enterprise for a huge amount of money. And, and Gay Pound is already receiving more than 100000 a year in pension entitlements. Now he's working for an undisclosed sum, apparently, for a company that is actively seeking more government contracts. Now, this this is... Corruption in, in its own fashion, mm-hmm. um, you know, that, that people who are so well connected go out into the private enterprise and further help exploit workers um, who are struggling to make a living. And these guys just pocket hundreds and hundreds and thousands of money. Yeah. Total corruption. It, goes, it kind of goes to show that, um, you know, these politicians, they're so disconnected from the real world. Like, they, they, they're so basically so above us like you know it's like we're basically are being ruled there's like no illusions that we are basically being ruled no, by i've been thinking about this you know i've been thinking about this for some time and and for me it seems like politicians have become salesmen for big business they're out to sell business they make um you know great tours to other countries to promote business nobody ever goes overseas to promote workers rights or workers wages but they will go and promote profit-making enterprises overseas under the guise of business is necessary to run this world. It's their frame of mind, but we think otherwise. We believe in cooperation, not in competition. So that brings us to the end of the program. You've been listening to Green Life Weekly Radio and Jake with Jacob and Lalitha um, uh, at the helm. So I hope you've enjoyed that program. Once again, it's a pitch for... Um, donations uh, to keep the program alive and running. We're grateful for any donation made. Please uh, nominate this program uh, when you do donate. Um, I hope you have enjoyed the show and let's thank Technicals who well, made himself available um, day before to give us an update on what's happening on the referendum issues in the Catalan um, uh, area in Spain. And, of course, Sean Bedlam, who we, we interviewed just a little while ago. Um, so let's go out with uh, our outro. And as I said before, you will get uh, the podcast soon put up on the website if you've missed any part of the program, um, if you want to listen to it again. Thank you for listening. And BZD is standing at the door to take over. So hope you all have a good day. 
This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio. Brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1-800-634-206. For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Three pieces of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au.